You're listening to Matt Walsh On Demand. When our water heater broke down last month, it was a nightmare. It took five hours for the plumber to show up, and he charged us a couple of hundred bucks just to come out. Then it cost another $1,800 to put in the new water heater. By the time it was all said and done, I felt like I'd been taken. But what else could I do? The smartest thing you can do is get a home warranty from American Residential Warranty. Their home warranties pay to repair or replace all your major appliances when they break. And they will break. And at the worst possible time, call American Residential Warranty right now for free information on home warranties starting at just pennies a day. Don't wait for your refrigerator to stop running or your ceiling fans to stop turning. Call American Residential Warranty right now. Ask how you can save up to 50% on washing and dryer coverage. Just call 1-800-686-3910. That's 1-800-686-3910. Again, 1-800-686-3910. Call now. You know, I'm often scolded. Um, by the way, you're listening to Matt Walsh on demand. Thanks for listening. So I'm often scolded by other Christians for being, in their opinion, too combative, too aggressive, too antagonistic in the way that I uh, convey my message. And as I've as I've tried to tackle important cultural issues in my mind, uh, particularly those surrounding life, marriage, gender, objective, moral truth, I, I've I've uh, I find that these conversations I'm trying to spark are derailed many times by people who'd rather talk about the way I talk about the things I'm trying to talk about than talk about the things I'm trying to talk about. I need to be more diplomatic, they tell me. I've heard this time and again over the last uh, three years and, and, and many times even before, before then. Now, I'm, I'm extending here on a discussion we had earlier in the week when I wrote about Manny Pacquiao. He's the uh, boxer, Christian boxer, who had the audacity to be Christian publicly. Now, I should stipulate that, and this is where people get confused. Because when you say Christians are persecuted or uh, bullied or, or whatever, in America, people always laugh at you. They scoff about it because they say, well, you know, everyone's Christian. I mean, all of our presidents have been Christian. But people can, you, you can stand up and say you're Christian and nobody's going to make fun of you for it. And that's true for the most part. That is true. And even the most, and it's true that even the most unchristian people on the planet, Barack Obama among them, can stand up and say, I- "I'm a Christian," and um, their very unchristian, anti-Christian followers won't have much of a problem with it. But but the thing is, you can say, "I'm a Christian," like it's just some, you know, some. Uh, uh, just a label and, and, and people will be fine with it. They might even, you know, they, they, you might even get a soft half-hearted applause and they'll say, Oh, that's so that's cute. But what you can't do, what you cannot do is indicate that you actually believe in the substance of the faith. That's what you can't do. When you do that, that's when you get attacked. So you can be Christian as in you can be, you, you can say the words, I am a Christian. But if you go anywhere further than that, if you go anywhere beyond that, that's where you get in trouble. 
And we've seen this time and again. When you have a, a famous person who's a Christian, everyone knows they're a Christian, and then they get up and they say, hey, by the way, I actually believe the stuff in the Bible about marriage and, and all that stuff. I believe that. And then everyone acts so shocked. But it's like you knew that you knew he was like, he didn't have to say this. He shouldn't have had to say it. You, you should have already known that he thinks this. But of course, these days you, you do have to actually say it. Because just saying I'm a Christian in America these days, does, that by no means indicates that you're actually a Christian, unfortunately. So Manny Pacquiao was, uh, you know, asked and he said uh, he, he's, he's a, he confirmed that he believes in uh, one man, one woman, one, one woman marriage, which is the only kind of marriage that exists. He said it in a colorful way, which is fine. In a blunt, harsh way, which is fine. That's how the Bible says it. The Bible calls it an abomination. Um, God wiped out two towns largely over um, sodomy and homosexuality. The New, the New Testament calls it uh, uh, unrighteous. Jesus in the New Testament defines marriage as be- being between a man and a woman. It's, it's striking to me that so many people pretend this doesn't happen. Like, the, it, it, Jesus never says anything about, about marriage. Uh, uh, yes, he did. He does, actually. He does talk about marriage. And he talks about it as a man and a woman. Uh, Matthew 19, he said, and, and he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let no man separate. He made them male and female. A man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. So is, is, is made into one flesh. This is Jesus himself saying marriage is between a man and a woman. Male and female. He didn't say man leaves his, his mother and father and, uh, and uh, is joined to his husband or his wife and his husband, you know, or his, his, his transgender, uh, gender amorphous spouse. Oh, he, doesn't, he says man and wife, doesn't he? So, now, here's the thing. You can say, well, I'm not a Christian. I don't believe that. That's fine. You're still wrong, but you can say that. But you cannot say, I'm a Christian, but I don't believe that. Because then you're not a Christian. You, you cannot call God a liar or say he's stupid or he doesn't know what he's talking about and then say, I'm still a Christian. You can't do that. And this is people say to me, well, how can you tell other people they're not a Christian? I can. If you're calling God a liar, you're not a Christian. You're not. If you're saying, well, you know, but maybe sometimes you could have a gay marriage. Nope. Nope. You're not a Christian. You're not a Christian. This is very simple. You cannot listen to what Jesus said and say, I don't believe that. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He had a, you know, a too archaic a perspective on this thing. The eternal creator of the universe, was he wasn't up to speed on things. A, 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 a divine uh, God who, who, who lives exists outside of time was not up to speed was was out of date if you think that then you don't believe so anyway it's very clear it's very clear it's all over the bible jesus that marriage between a man and a woman homosexuality is a sin um but if you if you confirm that then uh then you're going to be uh, uh cast aside and that's what happened to manny pacquiao and we talked about that and how, you know, we should still stand for our faith and uh, never apologize for it. So ex- expanding on that conversation a little bit, 
um, getting away from, you know, not apologize because of course we should not apologize. But I want to talk about tone a little bit. I want to talk because I, I'm always asked about this, your tone. I mean, even just now I was yelling, wasn't I? I got a little angry. And so I yelled. Uh, I want to give you an example just because just, I hear this all the time. But um, I gave a talk at Notre Dame several, several days ago, uh, a week or two ago. And I'd been asked to speak about gender. So uh, I spent an hour explaining, among other things, why transgenderism is a perverse fairy tale. Why men and women are distinct, but our membership in either group is not a choice. Uh, Why our modern notions of identity are false. Why feminist doctrine is evil and poisonous. Why gender roles are good, natural, complementary. Okay, maybe it was a little bit more than an hour, but that's, that's that's what I was asked to speak about, so I did. And even though Notre Dame is a Catholic college that's drifted precipitously into secularism and liberalism over the years, as evidenced by the honorary degree they awarded to our radically pro infanticide president, uh, the audience was mostly receptive to, to my message. And after I wrapped up, um, I spent a while talking to some of the students, and I found that many of them were you know, on fire with the faith, eager to fight for truth and righteousness in our culture, which was a hopeful sign. But not everyone agreed with what I said or how I said it. And not everyone, that's, you know, there's always going to be people who don't. There was a Q&A session after my speech that was... Um, dominated by a question, maybe accusation is a better word, from a student who was offended by, as she put it, my rhetoric. She uh, took exception to my tone, some of the words that I used. She was particularly upset that I used the phrase feminist shrew at one point, which I think is a great word, shrew. It should be used more often. Shrew just means an angry woman, you know, an angry, bitter woman. And feminists are often that way. So I use the word because it describes what I'm talking about. I, I found that that's usually a good strategy. If there's a word that, that accurately describes what you're trying to convey, then you use it. Even if it's going to rub people the wrong way, you use it anyway. That's what I do anyway. And so she told me that um, I'm more likely to drive people away if I'm not more polite and blah, blah, blah. And I always think it's interesting when people tell me that, you know, you're going to drive people away. Meanwhile, uh, okay, look at the room. It's full. You're telling me I've drive people away, uh, but I've been able to develop this audience from scratch on my own, just from my message. So you're telling me my message is not effective. Meanwhile, I've been able to get that message out to millions of people. Now, it doesn't make me perfect, doesn't make me a super special person, but it does mean that maybe I know a little bit something about how to convey a message. Maybe. I mean, it's only what I do for a living. I've only built my entire life around it. But I rarely, but I rarely stop to, to, to sort of really defend the way that I particularly speak. So that's what I'm doing now. She was in the, uh, in the minority, by the way, but, but she was. But her comments reflected the opinions of a certain portion of the conservative Christians I encounter anytime I write or speak or say anything in front of any kind of audience at all. And uh, there are some Christians more worried about policing the language of other Christians than fighting the underlying cultural battles. So they'll take a lengthy, substantive message that deals with difficult themes and distill it down to a tone of voice or a phrase or an adjective or description that they found distasteful. Um, and, and in so doing, they don't just lose the forest for the trees, they lose it for a few errant branches on one tree in one corner of the forest. 
And of course, I realize that liberals do this too. And that's precisely the trouble. That's what liberals did to Manny Pacquiao. Talking about his belief in marriage and he used the metaphor. That was offensive to people. So they were able to... So it's, well, you used the metaphor we don't like, so nothing you said counts. And liberals would much rather avoid defending their stances on matters of life, liberty, morality, marriage, sexuality. So instead they sift through your argument to find an escape hatch. So they say, yeah, you just articulated a rock-solid case for a traditional understanding of gender, but you said shrew, so it doesn't count. Ha! Gotcha! We win. And it's this liberal strategy that has, I guess, convinced some Christians to preemptively employ it against themselves. They figure that if you show a single hint of emotion or aggression or passion, if you get the least bit colorful in your language or a bit abrasive in your tone, then liberals will win. If, if we aren't perfectly cordial, these Christians think, we lose automatically. Uh, these are the kinds of Christians who spend all their time playing defense. Only they don't really play at all. They mostly sit off on the sidelines and chastise any Christian who plays, uh, who, who does play in a manner that they think is too zealous or hard-hitting for their liking. And this, I'm certain, is not the appropriate way to respond to fainting couch liberals and the disingenuous accusations they throw our way. The you're a sexist, racist, homophobe routine is a lie. A trick. They don't even believe it themselves. It's a trick they pull precisely to convince us to be cautious, dry, weak. They shame us out of our righteous anger and continue on being unrighteously angry themselves. They scold us for uh, being pointed and contentious and then continue on being pointed and contentious themselves. And they win and they keep winning. They win because we appear to have ceded the moral high ground, you know, because the side that gets to be righteously angry or pretend to be anyway. Other people on the, on the, you know, in the middle are spectating. They're going to think, oh, well, they're, you know, these are the people. They're offended. They're, they're angry. They're, they're the ones acting righteously. So they must be right. And so the liberals will say to us, uh, your point doesn't count because I was offended by how you said it. And we think we've somehow helped our cause by agreeing with them. By letting them off the hook. And meanwhile, our ranks have been overrun by apologetic, tiptoeing wimps who are convinced that those who step loudly are the problem. And, and the only time these types really speak up with force and clarity is when they're scolding one of our own for attempting to do cultural battle in a way that might hurt someone else's feelings. And, and it's very often the case that these self-appointed referees who reprimand other Christians for displaying too much rage and fury have done exactly nothing to engage on these issues themselves. They criticize those of us who are too angry, but it's easy for them to control their angry because, anger because they have none to begin with. They don't care. They do nothing. They say nothing. You're the problem, they say to us. You know, you're, you're flailing your arms and making too much of a scene. You're embarrassing us. And then they continue on flooding down the cultural river like rotting driftwood, offering no resistance at all. Suggesting that we're the problem. 
I don't know if this is the case for the, for the student at Notre Dame, by the way. She could be quite a cultural warrior. She could be, you know, she could put me to shame with her activism and outspokenness, her courage. Uh, that's very probable, you know, that, it's very probable that that's the case. Because I'm, as I said, I'm nothing special. I'm just using her objection as an example because it's something I often hear, whether targeted at me or not. And in many cases, I've noticed that the watch your tone types are themselves do nothings. Uh, but not in every case, certainly. Here's, ex- here's an example where I know it does apply. Uh, last, last week, I wrote a piece where I touched on a few controversies that came out of the Super Bowl, and one had to do with the uh, National Abortion Rights Action League, NARAL, and its absurd objection to a commercial featuring a pregnant woman. Uh, NARAL, NARAL. I don't know if that's how it's pronounced. That's how I say it. NARAL was worried uh, that, you know, images of a pregnant woman and, a, and an unborn child and a sonogram might humanize the fetus, as they put it. And so I went after NARAL pretty hard, as I tend to do. And, um, and uh, I, anytime I engage on abortion, I'm always, you know, pretty uh, hard-hitting about it. And I received many emails in response to what I said as usual. Again, most of the emails from Christians were positive. But a particularly upset minority of the folks on my side, quote-unquote, were incensed at the fact that I came off like a jerk, supposedly. Uh, One guy emailed to tell me that um, he's pro-life, but he's ashamed of pro-lifers when he reads what I have to say on the subject. He, he, I make him ashamed of pro-lifers anytime I write about it. He said it's disrespectful and rude to call pro-aborts abortion lovers or abortion enthusiasts. These are my words for them. Better than pro-choice. He said it's offensive, outrageous to accuse them of being indifferent to or hateful towards children, as I did in my piece and I often do. Um, he said, my words on the subject are unhelpful, accusatory, cruel, and so on. Another person emailed said she was a, a lifelong pro-lifer, her words, but she said that uh, she'd have enough, she'd have enough, she's had enough with my extremism. She told me that, uh, we should be respectful to pro-aborts and being respectful means not using phrases like murdering children, she said. Um, and I heard this same objection at a pro-life talk that I gave a few months ago, actually a woman, after I was done speaking, a woman, uh, stepped up and insisted that we shouldn't call the children children because it could be traumatic to pro-choicers who'd rather think of them as fetuses. So I decided to test my theory on these two emails. Um, just, just out of curiosity. I responded, I asked them, you know, how are they involved in the pro-life movement? Uh, Do they donate money or time? Do they attend marches or rallies? Do they speak out on the subject uh, in their own way? Are they actively, loudly, publicly pro-life? And they both gave remarkably similar answers. They said they would be involved, but people like myself have turned them off from it. In other words... They do nothing, they say nothing, they contribute nothing, nothing 
but they're quick to chide those of us who do. They're not even on the sidelines. They're not even in the damned stadium. They're, they're at home watching on TV with Cheetos dust, dust all over their shirt, muttering their useless critiques into an empty room. And if they ever do get off their butts and get involved or speak up, it's to thwart the efforts of their brothers and sisters in faith, to take the side of the enemy for, for the sake of signaling their own faux virtue to people who will loathe them regardless. And I find that's very common. You know, if you haven't noticed, Christians have lost the culture. We lost it some time ago, well before I arrived. Uh, I'm not sure you can point to a specific moment when American society became the godless den of nihilism and hedonism that it is today, but you can certainly point to some specific causes. And on that last point, I'm sure you'll find cowardice, apathy, and, t- uh, and, and timidity as, as causes. On the other hand, I'm sure you won't find that Christians lost because they were too forceful or too aggressive or too focused or even too impolite. I also don't think you'll discover too angry on the list. I'm always dumbfounded when I hear Christians suggest that we should tone down the anger and outrage. Um, Do you really think that's the problem? Christians are too angry at sin, too outraged at evil? Where is that happening? Where can I go to find mobs of Christians so incensed at the wickedness in the country that they're grabbing pitchforks and taking to the streets? Because the way that some people talk about it, it's like our, our streets are full of these people, but I haven't seen them anywhere. Where are they? Where, where are, are all these Christians who are too angry about, about evil? Where is the phantom Christian anger? Because, because uh, I, I mean, where are the pitchfork mobs? I, I wish you could point me in the direction of the pitchfork mobs because I'd very like, much like to join them, actually. And maybe I'm blind, dumb, or crazy because it seems that our problem is exactly the opposite. I think we've grown quite accustomed to evil, numb to it, fond of it even. So, so much that, that, that we can't understand why anyone would, would be so upset about it. There are many of us, many Christians, who are so used to the sin, so comfortable with it, that we really cannot understand. You know, these folks, they, they encounter another Christian who's really angry, and they can't understand the anger. They, can't, they don't get it. They really don't. I encounter this all the time when it comes to abortion. I, you know, I come across Christians. They really don't understand why some of us are so, are so ticked off about it. They really don't get it. They don't have that visceral disgust with the murder of children that we do. And you know what? That's their problem. They're, in, they're the ones who need to answer, not us. Don't tell me I'm too angry about something like that. If you're not angry, then you've got a problem. You've got a serious problem. You know, we tell each other to chill out and pretend we're advocating kindness and charity, but really, we just want company in our indifference. And I'm not immune, by the way. I lapse into indifference myself. I have to fight it off like an infection. But... For, for, for the times when I do speak uncompromisingly with force and even rage, I do it because I don't think I have a choice. This culture is asleep. 
You know, and nobody likes to be woken up by a bucket of ice water, but sometimes that's the only way. We've tried softly whispering, gently nudging, lightly tapping. We've tried being amiable about it, but it doesn't work because the country fell asleep with the TV on and the Spotify playlist blaring and their washer and dryer running and the windows open with cars whizzing by, headlights shining into the room. And so if I stand on the other side of the room and I mumble and, 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 and say, you know, excuse me, can, can, can you please get up now? Excuse me. Excuse me. I don't mean to be rude, but can you please, hello, excuse me. If I do that, I might as well say nothing. They're not going to hear me. No one's going to hear you. If you're too preoccupied with being polite and soft-spoken, nobody's going to hear you. It will make no difference. That's not going to be enough to break the trance that our culture is in. You'll just be drowned in the ocean of noise and lights and nobody will even know that you've spoken a word. So that's that's a big reason why being angry is sometimes necessary. And the other part of it is that liberals have um, had a lot of success and I alluded to this earlier, but they've had a lot of success by assuming the the uh, role or the sort of attitude of somebody who's right. I think the transgender issue is, another, is a really good example of this. When we talk about transgenders, and uh, they're so incredibly wrong about it. I mean, they've just invented this, you know, almost, it's the superstition that they've invented that a person can be the other sex because they feel that way. It's so absurd. They're so absurdly, egregiously wrong without an ounce of, of justification, whether, whether, you know, whether logical justification, scientific, moral. They've got nothing on their side. But they just, you know, it's like act like you've been there before. It's just act with confidence. Like, I know I'm right about this. And they've had so much success doing this. And so at this point, you know, just using this as an example, if you, uh, you know, say, you know, I think men are men and women are women, liberals will react to, what? Are you crazy? That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. They'll start yelling at you and they'll they'll, they'll just immediately bristle, just viscerally, reflexively. You know, acting like you've got three heads. And I think, meanwhile, they're full of it. They're completely full of it. It's as if, you know, but they're good at this. To the point where you could get up and say, uh, you know, two plus two equals four. And they say, oh, what? How could you say that? I don't know. And it, there's, they've had a lot of success with this. Because other people who are standing out on the peripheral, they see the way the liberals react and they think, oh, well, they must be right. I mean, that's, you know, I, I, I don't want to get that reaction. I mean, I, if they're reacting that way, then they must be right. And meanwhile, the people who are right are so preoccupied with being diplomatic that we seem like we're not even confident in our truth. We're, we, we start compromising on our truth and the people who are not, who have not bought into it, look at us and they say, well, why would I side with them? They they're not even confident in what they're saying. They get beaten down. They apologize. They make rationales. They, they, they try to compromise. Why would I take their side? 
They don't even they don't even believe what they're saying. That's how it seems anyway. And so I have decided that when I speak on these issues, I am utterly uncompromising because I know I'm right. And I will never, ever even give the slightest hint that I might be wrong. And I should clarify there that when we're talking about objective moral truths, objective moral truths, truths that have have been... uh, uh, instilled in us by natural law, by God himself, instilled a recognition that has been instilled in us. When you talk about something like gender, I mean, this is something that God has given to us that we understand intrinsically. And it's also described in the Holy Book. And so when we're talking about these things, I speak with utter confidence because it's not about me. It's not that I'm so great, I'm so smart. But, I, but God, this is God. God has told us this, and I'm merely repeating what God has said. And so I have complete and total confidence, and I will be completely and totally uncompromising and unapologetic when I say it. Now, if you want to talk about other issues and other things, you know, we're debating, uh, you know, uh, things where there's a little bit more, you know, tax policy, what's the best tax, po- you know, you, you fair tax or what, what, what do you want to do with capital gains tax? I mean, something like that, it's a little different. These are not objective moral truths given to us by God. And so there, yeah, it's a little bit more of a back and forth. It's a little more of a, of a give and take. I could be wrong about what I mean. You, you could be more right than me, you know? But when we're talking about objective moral truths, about, you know, men and women, human life, marriage, these kinds of things. I know I'm right. And it's not that I'm right. It's that God is right. And I know that I am conveying um, the truth of God. And so that's how I act. And that's why I'm uncompromising. And that's why I get angry sometimes. Um, not angry when I when people insult me or say say mean things to me. That's not what makes me angry. But when they insult the truth, when they when they wage an assault on the truth, when they wage an assault on goodness and 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 what is right, that's when I get angry and I act like it. While while liberals become immediately angry by those who defend truth, I become immediately angry by those who assault the truth. And I'm not going to apologize for that. And neither should you. All right. That's going to do it for me. Uh, Thanks for listening, everybody. I'll I'll talk to you next week. Have a great great weekend. Uh, My cruce salus. Godspeed.